want to invite you to turn to Jude this morning. We've been in Jude the last last several weeks, and, and it's a short letter. <laughs> so you're thinking, 25 verses. What more? What could you say in 25 verses? It's, it's fairly brief. Well, actually, we see a lot. We, we've seen a lot here, and there's more to go. We've got... Uh, this morning, we've got another week um, in Jude. So, a short letter, 25 verses. It's just before the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation. As I told you, you go to the very end and you take a left and you're right there at Jude. Jude is a brother to James, and, and Jude and James are both half-brothers to Jesus. And, and Jude has been writing a letter of warning to the church, the church then and the church now of persons who would enter the fellowship by deception in, in order to wreak havoc and to, to pull followers' focus away from the things of God. And so a logical question that you may be thinking, but you're too polite to ask, why do we spend so much time on this? Why does the pastor keep haranguing on and on about what Jude says about these ungodly people who would come in and try to distract, and, and this is why. If I could give you the sermon and, and a couple thoughts, this is what I would say. If we know what Scripture says, and if we are accurately hearing the voice of the one who wrote the Scriptures, the one of whom the Scriptures are about, if we accurately know the voice of Jesus... Jesus said, as the great shepherd, that my sheep know my voice. If we are listening to his voice, if we know it, then we're not going to be distracted. We won't be taken advantage of, of by ones who would come in to try to cause dissension in the body. But that's not the case. That's the reason why we have these letters, is to remind us and to pull us back on track, to pull us back to focus on the things of the Lord, to focus on Jesus and his word. We saw recently that in this letter in verse 4 that Jude refers to these, these, these ones who would come in. They're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. He refers to them as ungodly ones. And, and, and these ungodly ones, these false teachers, they've snuck into the flock. And verse 12 this morning, only five verses this morning, verses 12 through 16. But in verse 12, Jude says, these are the ones who are the hidden reefs in your love feasts, when they feast with you without fear. Like shepherds caring only for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. These are the ones who are hidden reefs. Well, what are reefs? Well, they, they lie beneath the surface of the water, and you only see the top. And the rest of the reef is hidden. And if one is canoeing, these can start as nuisances, but they can quickly end in disaster. The best example of a hidden reef is actually not a reef at all. It, it's the iceberg, which was the downfall of the Titanic. We, we get a false impression. What may look minuscule and small and easy to avoid quickly becomes something that can disrupt our entire existence. We get a false impression. And, and this word impression, I want you to, to think about this word this morning. You'll, you'll hear it frequently. Impressions. 
Everything is smooth sailing with these folks until there's a crash. And with these folks, they, something is off. Something is simmering just beneath the surface. Uh, the best example of that in Scripture is, is Judas. Judas at the Last Supper. Judas, one of the disciples of Jesus, we know how that ended up. We know that Judas betrayed Jesus. Jude says that these ungodly ones are like shepherds, but instead of caring about the flock and their charge, these, these shepherds, quote-unquote, care only for themselves. And, and this is opposite of what shepherds do. Shepherds are supposed to, to lead the flock to sustenance and provision. Shepherds are supposed to protect the flock against the environment and, and natural enemies. But these ungodly ones, they, they want to give the impression of being selfless caregivers. However, they're not. They give a false impression. These ungodly ones, they are clouds without water, carried along by winds, dark, threatening clouds which have no rain. Friday afternoon, I saw a storm coming on. And I thought, man, we need the rain. And I counted one, two, three, four, five drops of rain, and then it stopped. (laughs) It gave me a false impression. We need rain. And these clouds which don't deliver, we've we've been in this season where we crave life-giving rain. And I don't think crave is too strong a word. We need it. The ground needs it. The gardens need it. The livestock needs it. And we get excited, like I told you, about dark clouds and thunderstorms. But when they don't deliver, when they don't deliver, this idea of of what you see you don't get. All these clouds bring are darkness. You see, it's not what we think. These clouds leave us with, with a wrong impression. And, and Jude compares these ungodly ones to autumn trees without fruit. They're doubly dead. They're, they're really dead. There's no hint of life, nor hope of life, ever. They're, they're uprooted. Paul talks of fruit in Galatians chapter 5. He he, he says, walk by the Spirit, you won't carry the desire of the flesh. You won't carry that out. And he says the deeds of, of the flesh are evident. He, he, and, he, and he goes down a list, and, and they kind of build in cadence. I can hear Paul, sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft. And like a train, it starts to build steam. <laughs> hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and then it builds to the very last one. And things like these. They all fall under the same umbrella, don't they? And we know the kinds of things of which Paul is speaking. He doesn't have to spell everything out. If it smells like it, then you can count on it being one of these deeds of the flesh. And Paul says, I've warned you that those who practice such things 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. And these desires of the flesh, these line up with what we read in this letter of Jude. And Paul goes on to say in Galatians 5, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. And, you know, we can practice these things in our goodness, and that's fine. It's good. It's well-meaning. It's noble. But true joy and true love and true peace and true patience only comes from it being spirit-driven and born and led. When, when you and I came to that point where we needed to trust in Jesus to forgive us our sins. At that moment, we, we read, Paul tells us in Ephesians that at that moment we have God's Holy Spirit indwelling us. And it's only when it's His Spirit driving joy and peace and love, that's when it's true. And that's when there's fruit. You see, fruit matters. Quality of the fruit matters, not like the quality of the fruit that was on that half-dead apple tree. Jesus, the words of Jesus in Matthew 21, if you want to turn to Matthew 21 for just a moment, mark your place here in Jude, but Matthew 21, around verse 19, Jesus and the disciples, they're, they're walking along and they see this lone fig tree. And Jesus comes to it and he finds nothing on it except leaves only. Jesus wants a fig. Now, I would probably be more about it if it was a fig Newton dipped in chocolate. <laughs> Jesus wants a fig. And by the sight of these leaves, they're green and they're lush and it looks healthy. But upon closer inspection, there's a problem. There's nothing growing. The tree gives the impression of signs of life, but it's a false read. It's a false impression. And Jesus says to the tree, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once, the fig tree withers. It's like Jesus is saying, you have all the signs of abundant life. Why are you not producing? This becomes for us an example of, of discipleship. We were talking about discipleship just a, a few moments ago. Learning about Jesus, growing in the ways of Jesus, that can only happen if it's driven by the Holy Spirit, and that means we've got to be connected to Jesus. Jesus is saying, you've got to be connected to me. At the Last Supper, in John chapter 15, Jesus says these, these unforgettable words, I'm the true vine, and my Father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear fruit. Jesus says in, in John 15, verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. You might give an impression of life, but unless you are in me and I'm in you, it's not going to be real. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. 
He who abides in me and I in him. He who dwells in me and I dwell in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and he dries up. And they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. We will only bear fruit with God. Fruit is a sign of life that's accurate. And these ungodly ones, of which Jude writes, they give an inaccurate read. They give a false impression. It happened in Jude's day, but it happens in ours too. These ungodly ones, look there at verse 13. They are wild waves of the sea. They're they're churning up their own shameful deeds like dirty foam, wandering stars for whom the gloom of darkness has been reserved forever. These wild waves, they're, they're, churning, they're churning up foam and, and, and ugly things, dirty things. The wind picks up in the late afternoon at the beach and starts to churn that water. Calm, placid, midday water. You can float out there. And before you know it, you can drift way out <laughs> because it's just so easy. But that calm, placid water becomes rough. That wind picks up, and all of a sudden it starts churning, and you see all sorts of stuff whipped up. Wandering stars for, for whom the gloom of darkness has been reserved forever. Stars which, which burn out, which fade away. Stars which are here today, but they're gone tomorrow. Aimless, no direction. And Jude says it was about these people that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord has come with many thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. Enoch. That's just, that's strange. Enoch. Why does Jude mention Enoch, this prophecy of Enoch? Who was Enoch? Kind of odd. Who was Enoch? Well, we need a reminder of the the man named Enoch. We we actually read in Luke chapter 3 in the New Testament that, that Enoch comes along seven generations only seven generations after Adam. So, so Enoch goes way back. Goes way back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 5, we read that Enoch lived 65 years. He got a late start. He, he lived 65 years and then he fathered Methuselah. And if you remember the name Methuselah, that's the one who lived the longest in the Bible. The oldest man in the Bible. Enoch is his father. Everyone lived a, a longer in those days, and that's a discussion for another time, but we read in Genesis chapter 5, verse 22, that Enoch walked with God 300 years after he fathered Methuselah. And he fathered other sons and daughters, but, but all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And we read that Enoch walked with God And he was not found, for God took him. That's interesting, odd, interesting. 
we go to the New Testament, to the, to the New Testament letter of Hebrews. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews tells us the following about Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For before he was taken up, he was attested to have been pleasing to God. So Enoch was a man of faith. And that's what we know. We know that what Jude has shared of Enoch, Enoch prophesied about these ungodly people. And he, and he said that the Lord has come with many thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment upon all, to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, for which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things spoken which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him, the Lord. Again, we hear things regarding coming judgment, which are hard to hear. We live life often not thinking about coming judgment. When I go to Kroger to buy a pound of coffee, I don't think about the coming judgment. When you go to put gas in the vehicle, you don't think about the coming judgment. But friends, the judgment is coming. If you're honest, you don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. But it is coming. If we believe what Scripture says, it's coming. We, we can't turn a blind eye or a deaf ear. And, and we hear these things about judgment. They're hard to hear. And, and, and Enoch, according to Jude, talks about these ungodly deeds, judgment against ungodly deeds, ungodly words, words spoken against the Lord. And we don't have a canonical, we don't have a biblical record of this reference to Enoch anymore. Just This is all we have. Scripture doesn't tell us any more about this account, this prophecy of Enoch. As we've seen, there's some things Scripture doesn't tell us. Scripture does tell us that Enoch walked with God, he was close to the Lord, and that he was taken up so that he would not see death. Not unlike the prophet Elijah. You know the story of Elijah carried up to heaven in a flaming chariot. Enoch's relationship with the Lord is a unique one. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that Enoch was pleasing to the Lord. And so we're going to trust because Enoch knows the Lord and Enoch has this prophecy, we're going to trust that prophecy. And this is another reason we can trust it. Even though we don't know Every detail about it, we can trust it because it lines up with what Jesus would say in Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, verse 27, Jesus' words. Jesus' words about judgment. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels and will then repay every person according to His deeds. Jesus, the Lord of life and the Lord of love, is the righteous judge. We need not forget that. Last verse this morning, verse 16. Jude says, These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Jude tells us of these ungodly ones. He's compared them to hidden reefs. Where we started today, he makes this comparison to hidden reefs uncaring, self-serving shepherds. And he begins to build this. Clouds without water. 
dead autumn trees, wild waves, wandering stars, and these comparisons, they, they build through the prophecy of Enoch about bringing judgment. And then, for the final climax this morning, Jude says, these are grumblers. That's Jude's big finish. These are grumblers. It's interesting. That's not accidental. The word word for grumblers only occurs one time in the New Testament, and that's here. And I think that's intentional. These grumblers find fault. They're, They're discontented. But they follow after their own lusts. They're There's inconsistency. These grumblers, these these hypocrites, they speak arrogantly. These grumblers, they flatter people for the sake of gaining an advantage. I've had that happen to me, and I'm sure you've had that happen to you. You know the ones. They flatter you, tell you what you want to hear, in order to gain a foothold with you. You know the ones of which I'm speaking. Kind of like the, the man we read about last time in verse 11, Korah. Korah, he's a Levite. He's a, he's a worship leader called by God, one of the tribes of Israel. Korah served under Moses and Aaron during the time of the wilderness. They're in the book of Numbers. And Korah, he's a leader. Korah is recognized as a leader, but he's unsatisfied with his leadership role. And so he, he grumbles. Mm, there's that word. He, he murmurs. It's another way of saying grumbling. He, he murmurs just under the surface like a hidden reef. He murmurs. He, you know, he makes, you know the kind that murmur, they, they make little comments, they, they make little digs. And Korah did this to 250 persons of renown there in the tribe of Israel. Again, the whole nation's coming through the wilderness. You know the story, it takes them 40 years, so that's That's lives being lived out in the wilderness, and there's persons of influence there in the tribe. And so Korah intentionally grumbles and murmurs and makes little comments and little asides and little digs, you know, to these movers and shakers. And what Korah is trying to do is to rally these 250 leaders to attempt to commit a rebellion against Moses. And there are, they are unsuccessful, and there's tragic results. You know the story. So why does Jude bring in grumblers as the big finish? Why does Jude save this for the last? Swinging for the bleachers in the ninth inning. This is why. When impressions become influences. When impressions become influences. Jude shows the false impressions given by these ungodly ones. These kinds of impressions can begin to influence conduct. And they can influence our conduct. And it can become a problem. In fact, 
our conduct can become, in the words of Enoch, it can become ungodly. You see, we may not be hidden reefs or wandering stars, but we all know what it's like to grumble, don't we? We know what it's like to complain when we don't get our way. Or maybe we don't feel like we're being heard. Sometimes we, we refer to it as, well, we're just offering our opinion. We, we all have opinions, don't we? Like nostrils, we all have them. When impressions become influences... And, and if we're not careful, due to our influencing behavior, persons will, will look at us and, and see if their first impressions of us were accurate. Do you know that? When we are heard grumbling, people say, wait a minute. I've never heard Jake grumble. What's going on? I've never heard him murmur. What's, what's, what's going on? And if you're like me, there have been times where I've been surprised. When, when folks show their true colors, it can be an eye-opener, can't it? Something to think about. Something I want you to see. Jude began this morning in verse 12. These ungodly ones are like shepherds caring only for themselves. And when we think of shepherds, certain images come to mind. However, back then, shepherds could mean something. It could mean something in addition to caring for livestock. Way back in the, in the days of the prophets, kings were entrusted to shepherd their people. The Israelites were a flock. Thus, the kings were known as shepherds. And in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 34, God gives Ezekiel a prophecy against the shepherd rulers of Israel, these kings. Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. And this accusation strikes at the heart of these shepherd kings. And the Lord continues this prophecy. He says, As I live, surely because my flock has become a prey. My flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds do not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds feed themselves and did not feed my flock. We see in this chapter that God takes His flock from the care of these kings in order to give the flock soul restoration which would come from him alone. The Lord says, Behold, I am against these shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. And as a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. 
The Lord says, I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest. In Ezekiel 34, verse 23, God gives, he gives a reminder of his covenant faithfulness. He says, Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. How? This prophecy of Ezekiel happens after years after the rule and the reign and the death of King David. What's Ezekiel saying? What's the Lord saying through Ezekiel? My servant David? He's going to feed them? He's going to be their shepherd? Well, you know what? That's what God did. That's what God did. God set over His people one shepherd. And this one shepherd of the house and the lineage of David came to bring life, and He came to bring it abundantly. This one shepherd said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. This thief will come in to only steal and to kill and destroy, but I'm coming that you may have life and have it abundantly. The son of David says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus Son of David, says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. The way that we know the good shepherd, we know his voice, is because of what he has told us in his word. The good shepherd says this, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus, the good shepherd, wants to lead his flock. He has laid down his life for us. He said he would, and he did. And he will will lead us. He will guide us. He will feed us. He will influence us if we will allow him. If we will let him. But we have to turn from sin. We have to, to turn from self. We, we may have to turn from other influences. Enoch called them ungodly deeds and ungodly ways and ungodly words. Our grumbling. The Lord, the good shepherd, has laid down his life for us. He went to the cross for us, taking our sins. And he wants to lead us, to guide us, to feed us, and he stands ready to do that. Will you allow him to to lead you? Will you allow him to influence you? 